0: series on the Spirit of God, looking at the working and necessity and the need of the Holy Spirit in our lives according to the Word of God. What God's Word declares, we must accept and receive as believers. Amen? How many of you believe the Word of God to be true? How many of you believe all of it is true? Not just some verses and chapters, right? We can't rip some verses and chapters out of the Bible and pluck and choose just what we like, right? We've got to take the whole counsel of God, the whole Word of God, which gives us context and and gives us concept of what God is saying to us. And we've seen so far, from the beginning of the Bible even up until now, the need and the necessity of the Holy Spirit to be in us and active in us and us actively trusting the Holy Spirit and looking to Him for help and guidance. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a spooky ghost. He's a he's a person, a, a third person of the Godhead. He is real. He is real. He's not an it or or whatever. He's a he. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and he's active in our lives. We know Jesus said to us that I will not leave you orphaned. When I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. He will be with you. He will remind you and of everything I said, and He will teach you, and He will lead you and guide you. He will give you the boldness and the courage. These are the words of God. Amen? And we take God's Word and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God's Word is good news. Amen? Yeah. Smile. God's word is good news. Good news. Hallelujah. We're looking at Romans chapter 5 today. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, uh, Romans chapter 5. Okay. I was going to say, praise the Lord. I want to thank God for Lindsay. She does a wonderful job back there on, on all that she does each day. Lindsay, God bless you. Thank you for all that you do. You do it with excellence. Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to begin right there. That it is by faith, by faith, that we trust in God, that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, that he went to Calvary's cross and took away our sins. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. How many of you believe that by faith? By faith we believe. By faith we receive salvation. By faith we receive all the blessings and promises of God. How many of you know that? That it is by faith that our trust is in God. We are justified. What does that mean? And we've heard this said before. Just as if I've never sinned. Justified. God in His mercy says that that. Being, being, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see what this means in just a moment. What it means that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot achieve peace. How many of you know what peace means? Uh, You're coming to some kind of agreement that we're going to live harmoniously together. Right? With your neighbor. Alright? We're going to live harmoniously. We're going to come to some kind of agreement here. But this is even greater than being at peace with a neighbor. This is meaning being at peace with your creator, the Lord of heaven and earth. God wants to have peace with you. If God didn't want to have peace with us, would we have a chance of fighting against him and overcoming him? devil found that out, that it was impossible to overcome God, to overthrow God. The devil couldn't have it his way. He couldn't go up to the drive-thru and say, I want it my way. No, God says, no, there's only one way, God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And the Bible says in the Gospel of John that, that all to come to God must come to Him, th- come to God through him. And anyone who tries to enter the sheepfold some other way is a thief and a robber and a marauder. And so no one can come to God but through Christ, and through Christ we find peace. By, also, by whom also... We have access by faith into this grace wherewith we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. Faith shows us the wonderful grace that God has applied to us. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulations work with patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And here's where I want to look. This is what we're going to focus on right here. Verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you as a believer need to be ashamed of. Nothing. Everything that God has done for you, everything that has God promised you, everything that God wants to do in you and will do in you, there is nothing in God's working in your life that you have to be or need be ashamed of. God says, I'm the glory and the lifter of your head. When someone is ashamed, how do they go, how do they walk, how do they look? You know how people look when they're ashamed, heads down. And God says, I'm the glory and the lifter of your head. God says, the, work I be, the good work I've begun in you, I will see it through until completion. So the hope that we have in God, what is the hope? that God has saved us by faith in His Son, and that God has a, 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 a place for us in heaven. And not only that, but the hope is that God is going to see us through every day of our life. He will never leave us nor forsake us until we get to that day when we see Him face to face. Hope never makes us ashamed. So we should never, never, never be ashamed of the name of Jesus or the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives or that the fact to declare, I am a Christian, a believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed of the God who has saved your soul. Hope maketh not ashamed because there's a reason hope doesn't make you ashamed. Because. Because. God is giving us a definition, a, 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 a further explanation, because the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, is shed abroad, or that word also means poured into God. You know when you pour something into, that means abundantly, letting loose the whole thing, pouring the whole bucket of water on you. If I had a bucket of water and I put my hand in and went like this, I'm just giving what? Portions. I'm just sprinkling. God didn't just sprinkle His love into our hearts. God took His bucket of His love and poured it, the whole thing, into us. And so we gotta understand God's Word. We've gotta agree with God's Word. We've gotta believe God's Word. And we've gotta say yes to God's Word. The word says God shed abroad, poured His love, where? Into our minds, so that we can understand God's love? God didn't pour His love into our mind. Now our minds are are a good thing, right? We can't function without a mind, can we? Don't answer that. We, We cannot function without a brain, without a mind. God put it there. Right? He put a brain inside of us that helps us decipher and see and hear and do all these things. But God didn't pour all of His love into our brain. He poured it somewhere else. Where did He pour it? Into our hearts. Because God says when you're a new creation in him, God gives you a new heart and a new spirit, and into that new heart, when we come to Christ, we have a new heart and the and the God's love is poured into our heart. God, it's like God opens our heart and says, "Here, I want all my love to fill your heart." Why does God want his love to fill our heart? Because only then can we know the love of God for ourselves, and only then can we let that love flow through our lives and love our neighbors as ourselves. The two greatest commandments. Because when God's love fills our heart, we love God with a pure and a true love, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are able to love God. But how did He do that? How did God pour His love into our hearts? Read it with me. Read it again. Those verses go right over our heads. God has poured His love into our hearts, but how did He do it? How does He do it? By the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to get it. The Holy Spirit is a needed necessity in our life. He is an important necessity part of our walk in faith walk we cannot discount the holy spirit we cannot make light of him and we cannot do without him this is the word of god god poured his love into your heart by the power of the holy spirit this is what the word of god says it is the holy spirit who takes that love and makes it alive in your heart he's the one god poured it in by the holy spirit that's a reality what is this love? It's impossible and it's an exercise in futility for any man to try to produce the love of God on his own or her own. The world has all kinds of definitions for love. And they're all, they're all wrong and moral and, and, and sin, absolutely sinful, what the world calls love today. And we don't define love by the world's definition of love. We define love by the Word of God and by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives who takes the Word of God and illuminates it to us so that we understand what the agape love of God is really all about. If you try to manifest God's love, if you try to produce God's love without the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, it will be futile and impossible. You cannot manufacture God's love in your own strength, in your own understanding, what you think it might be. You cannot. It is impossible for you to produce, for us, to produce God's love. We have to receive God's love in us by and through the Holy Spirit. And we've got to say, Holy Spirit... I want you to pour the love of God into my heart that I may know it and experience it and that it might flow through me, that I can love God and love my neighbor. It only comes to us through the Holy Spirit when we are willing to receive it. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. But God, throughout His Word, always says, Do you want? Are you willing? And if we say, Yes, Lord. If we say, Yes, Lord. I want your love to be poured into my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're giving, you're opening the door for what God already wants to do. You're not asking God to do something that that you want Him to do. This is what God wants to do in your life. You understand it? You're agreeing with God. How many of you know we must agree with God if we're walking with Him? The Bible says in Amos, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Huh? Huh? You ever see two people walking down the street arguing with each other? That's not good. God wants us to walk with Him, agreeing with Him. He's the Lord, we are not. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's Creator. He's all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And while He takes our hand, we've got to say, Yes, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, I will do it. Whatever you say, Lord, I will believe it. I will trust in what you tell me to do. And so agreeing with God's Word is the key. And we, when we agree and say, Lord, shed your, boor, your love. I don't, like, I don't like shed abroad. The, the Greek word is poured into your heart. Poured into your heart. And so when we say, Yes, Lord, pour your love into my heart by the power and working of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make that love Manifest it to me. Overflow me, Holy Spirit, with the manifest love of God. That's how the Word of God comes. And when you have the love of God in your heart, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You can never be ashamed. You should never be ashamed of God's love working in you and working through you. When you show God's love to someone... To your neighbor or co-worker, you never need to be ashamed of of manifesting that love. Although you might be mocked for it, or whatever, you never need to be ashamed for it. Because when you expose God's love, when you show God's love, Christ himself manifested his love openly to the world around him. How many of him really accepted that love or received that love? Many spat on him. He was beaten and bruised. He was, he was crucified because he came to, to manifest love. But did that stop Christ from loving? Was Christ ashamed that he came? No. So we should never be ashamed of Christ. We should never be ashamed of manifesting the love, our love... Listen, we should never be ashamed of manifesting our love for God and for one another. Never, 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 never be ashamed of manifesting your love for God. That's why when we're in here in a worship service, it's not... And and we're, and we're worshiping God... And sometimes I say, give God a shout of praise, worship Him. I'm not commanding you to do anything. It's not me. I'm just trying to get you to, to agree with God's Word that we as a body of Christ, as believers together, we need to worship Him. I'm not, I'm not telling you something new or strange. I'm taking God's Word and saying, believers, come on, church, let's worship the Lord. And we're worshiping God out of His love in our heart. Why? Should we be ashamed to worship God in His house as believers, as children? We should never be ashamed to sing His praises and openly worship Him. Never be ashamed. I know too many believers. I'm not saying anyone here. I know too many believers in my years of ministry that are ashamed to worship God in the house of God. Oh, I'm a believer, but I can't shout his praise. I can't. I worship God privately. That's good. Nothing wrong with worshiping God privately. You should. Every one of us should. But the Bible clearly teaches clearly teaches that when we come together, we should corporately sing and shout the praises of God and worship him openly and loudly. This is the commandment of God to us and and as you go through the word of God looking at praise and worship he commands us God doesn't say oh my people if only you would please find it in your heart to worship me and praise me it would be a good thing God commands us my people worship me, praise me, because why? It brings back upon you, it declares, you're declaring to God, Lord, your love has been poured into my heart, my heart now loves you extravagantly, abundantly, and nothing can keep my mouth silent. And not only can I praise you, Father, and worship and love you, but I can now begin to reach out to my brothers and sisters and, work, and love them and praise, give praise give praise to whom praise is due. The love of God never makes us ashamed. In verse number 6, talking about the love of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, what does that mean? Does it mean when we didn't have big biceps popping up? It means when we were helpless, the Greek word without strength is good, but the Greek word means helpless, feeble. When we had no strength to serve God, when we have no, we had no strength to live the, uh, 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 righteously or in holiness, we didn't, even if we had the power to, we didn't have the strength to worship God or praise His name or to live for the Lord. We did not have the strength. The Bible says, "For when past tense, there was a point in your life and a point in my life when we did not have the strength to serve God or to walk with God. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will, 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 will for, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man that some would even dare to die. But the Bible says that." We were ungodly and we were helpless to to do the things of God, but yet we found the strength to go and put our hands to sin. We found the strength when when, before we came to Christ, we found the strength to go and engage in sin, to go and party in the things of this world. We had the strength to do that, but when it got time to go to church, oh, I don't think so. I'm talking about before we were saved. We were helpless. And even if we wanted to, before, I'm talking before we were saved. I'm not talking to you now. Before you were saved, if you wanted to, you were helpless to serve God. You had no power to do what was right in the sight of God. If you did, Christ did not need to come. But every man without Christ and without the power of the Holy Spirit was helpless to do that which was right in God's eyes. But while we were helpless, we had no excuse putting our hands to sin. Because there's a power in sin. Sin has a power, an enticement to draw you in, to pull you in. What do you think commercials are? Commercials are geared to pull you in. To their product to get you to buy to get you to come in and believe what they're telling you and this is what sin is sin is everything that is against the writings and commandments of god everything against the teachings of god that is enticing you in the world around you now before we were saved there was great enticement that we were that we bought we bought yeah we bought we paid there's a price to pay The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We all, how many of you know, we all have sinned. I'm not talking, I'm talking before we came to Christ, we all have sinned. We were sinners in need of a Savior, weren't we? And so before we were all helpless. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet engaging in, in the things of unrighteousness while we were still taking pleasure in the sins of this world how many of us used to do that before christ yeah you weren't righteous all your life no you needed a savior every one of us in this room was living some kind of some kind of unrighteous way my uncle said to me one time I have no sin. I never did anything wrong. I always lived good. I, I always tried to do right. You heard that story, most of you. I couldn't convince him that the Bible says that all have sin. No, not me, he said. I'm a good man. No, not me. I'm a good man. I do good to everybody. I said, but uncle, the Bible says we all have sin." No, not me. We all have sin. In some way, shape, or form, we all took hold of sin. But while we were doing that, while we were engaged in sin, before I came to Christ, I was engaged in a lot of stuff that was sinful. But yet, while I was doing that, God loved me. And that's hard to comprehend. The God of holiness, the God of righteousness, looked on me, delighting in my sin, looking looking to, to find other things to, to get involved in that were sinful, and yet God loved me. While I was a sinner, God loved me. Much more then, now being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath, through Him, Go up a little bit, Lindy. The Bible says we were helpless. The Bible says we were sinners. And the Bible says we were something else. And this is all of us. Don't say it's for my neighbor. Say, this was me. It used to be me. It used to be you. Don't look at your neighbor and say, it must have been him or her, not me. It was all of us. We were helpless, we were sinners, and we were enemies. Uh huh. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. This is the love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts. And when we were enemies, it says, it means that not only did we want to do sinful things. But we actually resisted or fought against hearing the gospel or receiving it. And so the Bible says when we were helpless, we were sinners, and we were even enemies of God. How many of you know the Apostle Paul was an enemy of God? The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. And he was into the law, a religious leader into the law. And how many of you know Apostle Paul, Saul, at the time, Saul went around persecuting the church? He thought he was doing what was right, and anyone who was a Christian, he would he would go to put them to death, put them in prison, to torture them, to get them to blaspheme. He was an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he realize it? He thought he was doing good, but that day on the road to Damascus, the Jesus appeared to him and says, "Saul, why are you fighting against me? Why are you kicking against the go? Why are you?" And he says, "Who is this, Lord?" And he says, I am Jesus whom you persecuted. You're an enemy of me, Saul. And Saul repented because the love of God didn't stri- the, the mercy of God didn't strike Paul because he was persecuting and killing and imprisoning these Christians. God's love says, Paul, give me your heart, that the love of God can come into your heart. And Paul gave, said, Yes, Lord, come into my life. He became a believer in Jesus Christ. The gospel, the, the God poured, shed poured into his heart the love of God. And Paul now, filled with the Holy Spirit, became one who went around, what? Preaching the gospel. Laying hands on the sick. Getting beaten for Christ. But once he was helpless. Once he was a sinner. Once he was an enemy of God. But now, because of the love of God, he became reconcile to God and he says we shall be saved we are continually being saved by the working of Christ in our lives and the working of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden it caused them to what? to hide from God but when God comes into our life when we ask Christ into our life and the the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, poured into our hearts. I gotta stop the shed abroad, I don't like that. When the love of God was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we then were no longer trying to hide from God. Now we run to God. Abba, Father, because what does the Spirit cause us to do? We've read this before. The Spirit of God stirs in us that we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Holy Spirit working in us doesn't get us to run from God anymore. The Spirit of God in us gets us to run to God. Knowing that even if we were to fall, even if we were to stumble, the Holy Spirit brings that love that was poured into our hearts to say, go to Father God, come to Christ, come to God, that we, our sins are forgiven, You're, you are beloved, you are loved. I want to go down to chapter number 7. But chapter number 6, 7 and 8 in Romans speaks of, of sanctification. Chapter 6, which we're not going through, it talks about victory over sin begins with a want-to attitude and taking hold of faith. But although we want to stop sinning, although we want to live righteously, although we want to do those things, although we have faith and believe in the Word of God, that in itself is not able to keep us from the power of sin. In chapter 7, it goes on to talk about how man, even wanting to live righteously, trying to do so by his own efforts or by the law, again, is hopeless and futile. It cannot work. And so when man wants to take hold of faith, wants to do the right thing, he realizes, in, in, in as you look through Romans and Paul, that by my own efforts, I fall short, I just can't do it. If I try to abide by the law, this doesn't work either. And so how am I going to have victory in my life? In chapter 8, we see where the Holy Spirit is declared the one who gives us the victory over the power of sin in our lives. But here in Romans chapter 7, I want you to to look there with me. And in Romans chapter number 7... Verse number one. There's a, there's a continuation from Romans chapter six, verse number twenty-four. Uh, verse twenty three, I'm sorry. This is a translation of the King James where it says, Know ye not. The King James leaves out the little article or. Or in the Greek means a continuation from from the verse from from the thought before. And so, verse chapter, Romans chapter 7, verse 1, is a continuation. There should be an or, which means, A is the, is the Greek, which means it's a continuation of the thought of what is being spoken or said previous to this verse. And previous to this verse in in Romans six twenty three, you don't stay here, Lindsay. It says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." And in verse in chapter six, it's talking about the law, the law that those who were trying to find righteousness by keeping the law, and the law can never bring righteousness in. For if righteousness came from the law, it would have been unnecessary for christ to 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 become but it says the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus and therefore it says know ye not paul is now giving us an example an illustration of that that we are alive to christ but dead to the law of to the law of sin which brings death or to or to law he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. <clears throat> to those who were who were who were Jews, they lived according to the law, the commandments of Moses before Christ. Before Christ came, the Jewish people had to live by the what? The Ten Commandments, the Moses. And the Bible says that if you broke any one of those Ten Commandments, you might as well have broken them all because you're, you've sinned. And then how are you going to get right with God? And so the law came not to make man sin, but the law came to point out to man what God said these things you ought not do. And that these things are things you got to avoid and, and, and not go to. But by our wanting to, How many of you know there were a lot of people who wanted to obey all Ten Commandments, who tried with all their might and strength to follow and abide by the Ten Commandments without breaking a one. And in the history and course of mankind, there is not one man, woman, not one individual could be found who was found without breaking one of those laws at some point in time. And it says, he gives an example here. For the woman which had a husband, and they were bound by the law. If before Christ, without Christ, there was nothing else they had to look to but the law. They had to follow the law. They were married to the law. They were bound to the law. This was their commandments. They had nothing else. There was no other writing or book which they had to abide by but by the Ten Commandments. They were married to it, bound to it, locked into the law. And he says, he gives an example. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he live. But if the husband dies, she is loose from the law of her husband. So it says that, with with a, just for example, he's saying, take for example a man and a woman that are together. They're bound to each other until the day that one dies. When one dies, the other is free to go and do whatever, remarriage. So then, if while her husband liveth she married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. That's called adultery, fornication. You can't be married to a man and go be living with another man. You can't be married to your wife and go be fooling around with another woman. That is not good. That is not the law. That is not righteousness. Right? The word of God declares, if you're married, be faithful, be true. And so here he's talking about not marriages, he's giving marriage as an example. He's talking about the relationship between Christ and the law. And he says here, go up to the next verse, Lindsay, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Those of you that were bound to the law... Committed to following the law, committed to living to the law. It says that, that, that you are also as become dead to the law because of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. When Christ came, Christ came and he fulfilled everything. So no longer are you bound to following the Ten Commandments of Moses. You're dead to the law in Christ. In Christ, now you're married to Him. Because you're dead to the law, you're now free to marry Christ, to become one in Christ. This is what he's saying here. That once those who were bound to the law, how can I follow Christ when I've got to follow the Ten Commandments of Moses, was the, was the question to Christ. And Christ says that I've come to, to, to fulfill and to do away with you being bound to the law. But how can I be bound to the law? How can, I be, how can I follow you when I have to follow the law? And Christ says, no, you're dead in me. You are dead to the law and alive in Christ. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of the Spirit, hold it right there, Lindsay, and not in the oldness of the letter. Christ says that we should serve God in the newness of the Spirit, that we have to be in Christ, married to Christ, following Him, bound to Him, locked into Him, not the law. You can't find salvation in the Ten Commandments. If you could, Christ didn't need to come. Christ came to say that you need to be bound to me, married to me, not to the letter of the law. The Bible says the letter of the law killeth. But who? what brings life? The Spirit of God bringeth life. And so it says that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit not in the oldness of the letter. That is why legalism is out the window. God doesn't want legalistic people. Legalism kills, brings death, brings condemnation. Legalism never could justify. It the law could never save a soul the law was there to point out sin and the bible even says that sin got its power from the law and paul says then should we say the law is evil and he says god forbid no the law is righteous and holy is the law the commandments are holy says the word of god But because God showed us what was holy, we that sin therefore then had a power by enticing us to do things contrary to what was shown. So the power of sin got its power by the word of God which gave us the commandments. And that's why Jesus said, you've got to not be married to the law because that can't save you. That can't bring you into eternity. You've got to be dead to the law and alive to me. Because the Bible says, in Christ, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And so if we want to f- come into righteousness, we have to become dead to the law because we can't fulfill it in our own flesh. In our own power, we can't fulfill the letter of the law. We cannot. No man ever could. But we can, f- Christ, who has fulfilled the letter of the law, says, die to that and live to me. Live for Christ. Live to Christ. Be married to Christ. Be one in Christ. Christ said, Father, I pray that they be one in me as I am one in you. Because when we are in Christ, we are then dead to sin, dead to the law and alive to the Christ and to the Spirit of God. It says, serve in the newness of spirit of the Holy Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter of law. So the Holy Spirit has come. To give us what is he saying here? I'm going to summarize it, and we're going to end. Paul is saying here that sin has power over people's lives. The law could not break. The law showed us what we needed to avoid. The law came to, as a tutor to show us what was what was what was right and righteous, and we as man could not achieve that goal. We had not the power to live righteously without breaking one of those letters. And we were subject to the power of sin. The Bible says sin has power. The Bible says there's power in sin. And if we deny that, we're foolish and we're ignorant and we're not believing God's word. Sin has power to take you captive. That's why. Why does the Bible say that he came to set the captives free, to break our chains and bonds? Sin has power to take us captive and ensnare us, and power to deceive us, power to delude us, power to take us and entice us in. And the law, although we saw what we should be doing, the power of sin was greater in its enticements to us, And we found ourselves, as mankind, we found ourselves being enticed and falling into sin. We did not have the power to overcome sin, even if we wanted to. And so God says, I will give you the power. When you come to Christ, not only will I wash your sins away, not only will I take you and set you free from the captivity of sin, not only will I take your chains and set you free, amazing grace, the chains are gone. Not only did he do that, Christ God knew we needed more than just having our chains broken. He needed, We needed more than being delivered from the power of sin. We needed now a power in us that was able, listen to me, we need a power in us. You hear me? We need a power in us that is able to overcome the power of sin. That's why the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because there's power of sin, and the only way we as a believer can overcome the power of sin is by the power of God, the power of God in us. This is why a believer, someone cannot just quote the word to the devil, just cannot quote the word to sin and say, I don't need the Holy Spirit, I just quote the word. Well, you need to quote the word, you need to know the word. But if you don't have the power, if you're not operating in the fullness of the power of the Spirit of God in you, you do not have the power to overcome. Because the Bible makes clear the Holy Spirit is the power of God. Yes, this is an amen. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. So why does God, why does Jesus said be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why does God say the love of God has been pour it into your life by and through the Holy Spirit why does the Holy Spirit on, on, on Pentecost why did Jesus tell the disciples wait until you receive huh? wait until you receive power wait, wait until you receive come on, say it wait until you receive power from on high what was he going to drop? a vitamin pill filled with power Ooh, I got the power of God He said, wait until you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the power from on high. Why do we need the power of God? To overcome every day, to overcome in every situation, to overcome in every circumstances, the power of sin. There's only one power greater than the power of sin, and it's not your willpower. It is not your mental power. It is not your muscle power. It's not your intelligence power. The only way you as a believer can overcome the power of sin on a regular daily basis is by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Knowing the letter of the law could not save you. Knowing the letter of the law did not give you power over the power of sin. God knows that. God declares it to us. And God says, be filled. Wait until you receive power from on high. Be filled with the power of God. And you will be able. This is what He's saying in all these chapters. This is, and you will be able. So detach yourself from trying to live according to the letter of the law. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. God does not accept, expect you to. God does not want you to live according to the letter of the law only. He wants you to live in Christ, in Christ, be married to Christ, trust the living word of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will have victory in your life. You will have power to overcome your, your, the, your daily temptations and struggles through life he's there the holy spirit is in your life for purpose and reason he alone listen to me he alone the holy spirit alone is able to deliver you and keep you from falling into the powers of sin and whenever you're tempted And you will be tempted. Believe me, you will be tempted. No one sitting in this place today will be without temptation in some way, shape, or form. Every one of you, every one of us, including me, I'm not exempt. Every one of us will face temptation. But the Bible says, when the temptations come, God always gives you a way of escape through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because only the power of the Holy Spirit can rise up And look at that power of sin. Goodbye. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to overcome. Take that gift of God. The Bible says He's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Given. To empower us to live for God. Not only to live for God, the Holy Spirit sheds it pours, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit creates in us and stirs and stokes the fires in us to love God, to love one another, and to have power over sin. That's why the Bible says you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In Christ. Wait, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Because when you are in Christ Jesus, then the door is open to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are more than a conqueror in Christ. And that is why you can say, I am more than a conqueror in Christ. The greater is He that is in me than is in the world. greater is the Holy Spirit that is in me than the powers of sin in this world. Yeah. You can smile. You have power. Say, I have power. Say it with me. I have power over sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit who is in me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your overcoming power in my life. Raise me up in victory. Every time I am tempted... Say it. You can say it. This is a good prayer. This is not bad. It's not a trick. It's reality. Ask the Holy Spirit every day. When I am tempted, Holy Spirit, give me the power to overcome. Give me the power to stand in righteousness. Give me the power to live this day to Christ. God delights in you acting and activating His Holy Spirit in power. He's willingly given Him to us. Don't live according to the letter. Live according to the Spirit of God that sets you free. Hallelujah. you get it? It should make you happy. Can I see a smile? Can I see a smile? The Holy Spirit is in your life, empowering you. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning.